think we're on now. It's not going to be uh, an exhaustive study, but I think it would be useful for us. Uh, especially, uh, we're about three weeks away from presidential election, and uh, seems like everybody's pretty tied up in a knot about all of the, about all of that and politics in general. And whichever political persuasion you are, usually there's there's a lot of people on the other side that says the person that that other person is is really evil, and that they are that they are just. That if we if we have them as president, they're just going to destroy the country. Now, I'm not a I'm not a fan of either of those, and they are uh, ungodly in, in a lot of ways. But when we look at the Herods, I don't think that anybody anybody in politics in this country uh, shines a light through to the depravity uh, that we see in the Herod family, and we're going to talk about that uh, uh, this morning. And uh, you know, we think about, and there are things that they did uh, politically that was good, talking about the Herods, but uh, they were very immoral people. And it's also interesting when we look at the Herods, and that, and they are the political, what's going on in the background during the life of Christ and the apostles, and we have these people uh, ruling uh, this area of Judea and Samaria. So we're going to talk about that. And uh, we're going to look at some scripture. I think this is mainly going to be more like a history lesson than, uh, but we we are going to look a little bit in the uh, the Bible as well. Now this is I don't know how well y'all can see that. I found this uh, outline, and I think this really demonstrates well the lineage of the Herods, and it begins at Herod the Great, and Herod the Great is that Herod that we just read about in Matthew chapter 2. He is really that beginning of the family of the Herods, and this is how it's broken down, and it's actually we see that the Agrippas, King Agrippa, that we see in Acts chapter 26, he is actually uh, of the lineage of that same Herod. So we're going to talk about them. We're not going to talk a lot about Aristobulus and Archelaus. Uh, mostly what we're going to be talking about is Herod the Great, and then we'll see Herod Antipas, Philip, situation with Herodias, and then we'll briefly talk about the Agrippas as well. But um, you see that, you see that, that uh, it gets kind of complex. Now I was studying for this, and some of the situation going on with the Herods made me very confused, and so I'm going to try to make this as plain as possible. But there was a lot of, there were there were very a very interconnected uh, family in a in a variety of ways, and uh, so beginning with Herod the Great, and of course if if you were paying attention to our class, you know that this was the Herod that was a ruler during Christ's birth. The uh, the Lexham Bible Dictionary has to say says this about Herod that he was born in the seventies B.C. His family was Idumean. And so, Adumea was a it was a part of land that was south of Jerusalem, and this was, from what I understand, this would be what would be would have been traditionally called Edom. Okay, and so he was considered, from what I understand, he would have been would have been considered a half Jew, and uh, it seems as though that he, at least with what he has done, that he felt some tie to the Jewish people. Uh, Herod and his father. Antipater, I think that's how you say it, were both loyal to Rome. 
He was an Antipater was advised to hire Kenneth II. And so we'll see right here it says that he set out improving relations with the Jews, spreading Hellenism very slowly. He established a military composed of foreign soldiers, centralized his bureaucracy, and began building pro- projects through the region. After his father's assassination, assassination, Herod fled the land in 40 BC. He returned to Rome and was officially crowned king of Judea. Returning in 39 BC, Herod eventually reg- regained control of the land from the Parthians. He ruled for the next 33 years or so. And so, he was Herod the Great was known as a great builder and he had we see this picture here of his of his kingdom here everything outlined in this black line would have been his kingdom so traditional israel pretty much the ruler of all that he was a a king of judea and of samaria as well i apologize for those in the room you can't really see that well but uh really his his rule and it was it was much of traditional israel and and other parts as well that that were nearby now, uh, again, like I said, he was a, he was a great builder. We see that uh, this is a uh, this is a, a picture of one of his projects, which was Caesarea. He actually built Caesarea. That was it was a port city. Uh, we see that the Caesarea is mentioned in Acts twenty one and Acts chapter twenty three as well. Uh, he built a uh, it was a small town and fortress that's, that was called Herodium, I believe, and. Uh, also, that probably that he's most well known for is that uh, he renovated the Jewish temple around 20 BC. Now we see in a reference to Mark chapter 13 that this was that there were uh, Jesus' uh, disciples, I believe, that they go out and say, "Well, how how beautiful this temple is," and uh, we really see how those the Jews in that area would have would have seen the temple, how beautiful it was. And recognize also in that same verse, Jesus said that there's not going to be, there's not every stone in this temple is going to be overturned. That this place is going to be completely destroyed. And um, he uh, he had ten wives and he had fifteen children. Now, uh, also, kind of like we can kind of allude to in Matthew two in, in the previous class, he was very unstable and he was paranoid as well. Uh, we see that with him. Uh, trying to kill Jesus, and uh, we see a lot of times he he had several of his several several members of his family uh, killed as well, and he was always concerned. He was very concerned about keeping his power, and so this is and and, and it's remarkable that this man was willing to 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 go to these extents just to maintain his power. That that was. Seemingly, this that was all. That was the only thing that he was about. He was totally focused on maintaining his power. But he also had ten wives and fifteen children. His favorite wife, Miriam II, I believe. He actually had her. He, he was actually persuaded, I believe, by his sister to actually have her executed as well. So very bizarre. Like some things that just don't really make sense that goes on in Herod the Great's life. But again, he was known as a great builder. He 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 built uh, like we see Caesarea. Uh, he built other places as well, and so it seemed like he held some, at least politically, he held a, he held a good bit of power and influence. Now, 
like we just mentioned, he renovated this the, the temple. And so we see this picture here. This is a uh, really see the difference between Solomon's temple. And of course, we know that the temple was uh, rebuilt later on. But we see uh, Herod's temple here that it was much bigger, taller, more extravagant. We see just the main uh, temple complex just being about the, about the whole about the same size as uh, Solomon's temple. So much bigger. And so you can kind of think about why there were many Jews in the area that probably had a very favorable view of Herod. Uh, Think about the Herodians. The Herodians were people in that area that actually plotted with the Pharisees uh, to bring bring down Jesus, and they were favorable of the Herods. And you can kind of see that him being uh, of relation to the Jews, not being a full Jew, but being a relation to the Jews. He's, he's doing these projects, renovating the temple. We actually see where some actually believe that he was, some viewed him as a Messiah figure. That some viewed him as in the same, as, uh, as in the same light as King Solomon, King David. And so we can kind of see with what's going on here that there, there would have been many people in this area that would have had a favorable view of Herod the Great, regardless of the atrocities that he had committed. Now, after he died, we see that his kingdom was split either between three or four of his sons. And uh, we see Archelaus, if, if you remember back in Matthew as well, we see Ar- Archelaus replaced Herod, his father. Archelaus pretty much was, he became king of Judea, Judea and Samaria, and he was pretty much, he took over the throne of Herod the Great. But we see also, uh, either two or three of his sons became tetrarchs. And the confusion is between Philip and Herod Philip. And we see Philip in Luke chapter 3 and verse 1 that he was a tetrarch of Atria and Trachonitis. But also we see in the scriptures a Herod Philip. Now, there's dispute over whether this was the same as Philip the Tetrarch, or there was actually another Philip uh, that was a Herod as well. Now, we're kind of we're, we'll, later on in this lesson, we'll look at we'll look at this some more, and seemingly uh, this is, in my view, that Philip and Herod Philip were probably different individuals. If not, it gets pretty strange. Uh, with their with their situation and their marriages as well, if those are the same people. But regardless of that, we're not sure. But we see Herod Antipas, and we'll talk more about him later as well. He became Tetrarch of Galilee and Perea. And we also see that in Luke chapter 3 as well. So we have Archelaus as king, and then we see Philip and Herod Antipas. They're Tetrarchs, and Tetrarch means like a ruler of the ruler of a fourth. So they're going to be, Archelaus was the, uh, I guess you would say, in in probably uh, known political terms, Archelaus would be like the president, and Philip and Herod Antipas would be like the governors. And they're kind of governing these provinces within Judea and Samaria. Uh, now, going on to Philip the Tetrarch, uh, we see that little is spoken of him actually in the Bible. Um, mostly what we see is in Matthew chapter 14, and this was a situation in which... Uh, John the Baptist, John John the Baptist is actually uh, rebuking Herod Antipas for taking Herodias, which was actually Philip's wife. We'll turn there and read that Matthew chapter fourteen, verses one through four. It says. 
At that time, Herod the Tetrarch uh, heard the report about Jesus and said to his servants, This is John the Baptist. Uh, he is risen from the dead, and there, therefore these powers are at work in him. For Herod had laid hold of John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because John has said to him, It is not lawful for you to have her. So we see, we see John the Baptist rebuking Herod Antipas for taking his wife, and uh, really, this is what this is about all that we see of, of Philip, Philip Tetrarch, uh, in the Bible. Uh, we see we have some extra biblical sources, and uh, again, this is a Lexham Bible Dictionary. It says after the death of Herod the Great, Philip was assigned to rule a portion of the former kingdom by Caesar Augustus. These regions would have been primarily populated by Gentiles, non-Jews. Josephus records Philip's building activities at Bethsaida and Caesarea, Caesarea Philippi. Philip erected buildings in the city of Bethsaida, which he temporarily renamed Julius in honor of Caesar Augustus' daughter. Caesarea Philippi was built by Herod the Great and originally named Panias. Philip enlarged the city and renamed it in honor of Caesar and himself. Philip died in AD 34 after 37 years of peaceful rule. As Jensen states, within the line of bad Herodian rulers, Philip the Tetrarch is presented as a notable exception. So seemingly, he was a pretty decent ruler compared to the other Herods. Uh, we see him again, similar to Herod the Great. He had various building projects. And we see that um, he ruled that northern part, uh, that northern Judea area. And we see that it was, like, like we see here, that's uh, primarily populated by Gentiles. Now, moving on to Herod Antipas, we see that he is the most noted of the Herods in Scripture, at least, at least from, what I can, from what I can tell, that the, we, we know the most about this particular Herod. Now, usually, this guy is just noted as Herod. And uh, but when when we see this is when we see uh, Jesus talking about Herod, this is going to be usually the Herod uh, that Jesus is uh, that Jesus is referring to. And of course, just like we saw, he was the one that had John the Baptist uh, beheaded. He married Herodias, Philip, which Philip was his half brother. So this would have been he married Herodias and, and, and Philip's wife. Now also notice, and this is where it gets confusing for me and kind of hard to figure everything out, but we see Herodias is a granddaughter of Herod the Great who was through Aristobulus. Now if you remember back to our, um, our family tree, we see we saw Herod the Great, we saw Archelaus, Philip, Herod Antipas, and we also saw Aristobulus. And Aristobulus married Bernice, and they have uh, Agrippa the first, and they also have Herodias, and so we see Herodias marries originally marries her uncle, and then she goes and married Herod Antipas, which is again uh, her uncle. I think that's right. Now Herodias and Philip, they had a daughter uh, named Salome. You may remember that name. That might be familiar to you. And uh, Salome was the one that danced before Herod Antipas. 
And so, if you remember the story, we see Salome dance before Herod Antipas. Herod is pleased by that by that dance. Herod asks what she what she wants. She knows that Herodias despises John the Baptist, and he she uses that uh, situation to ask for John the Baptist's head. And we see Herod agreeing to that, and John the Baptist being beheaded. Now. Where it gets a little thicker is we see where Salome, Josephus st- states that Salome actually married Philip the Tetrarch. Okay, so this is where it gets confusing. Like I said, we don't really know whether whether Herod Philip and Philip the Tetrarch were two different people, because we see where Salome is said to be the daughter of Philip and Herodias. If Philip the Tetrarch is the same as Herod Philip, that would mean that she would have actually married her father, which that just seems doesn't doesn't make sense but uh we do see at least that that would be she would be marrying her uncle and so we can kind of see this complex web of marriages here that there are adulterous relationships we see plenty of intermarriages and uh we see that this just just gross immorality and and reason and kind of like what i was talking at the beginning of, of of the lesson that if we saw some of this stuff going on in our current politicians, none of this would fly. That this immorality is just unheard of. It would not be stood for, at least for the time being, in our society. And so this is the backdrop of what's going on. We see Jesus dealing with Herod Antipas, this this guy that has John the Baptist behead him. You know, he's marrying he's marrying Herodias. Uh, we see this uh, Salome uh, and her situation and what she's doing. Je- this is who is who Jesus. Uh, you know, this is who Jesus is under. This is the hair that's ruling that area in which Jesus is currently alive, and it's just remarkable the you know how Jesus interacts with that. He doesn't go out and say, you know, these people. He doesn't say these people need to be took out of power. We need we need a uh, we need the Christians to be, to become go into power. We need the Jews to overthrow these people. There's none of that going on. And Jesus is doing all the, his great work in the mix of this political background and just all this nonsense that's that's going on in the midst of his his ministry. In Luke chapter thirteen and verse thirty two, we see Jesus actually calls him a fox. So he doesn't have he doesn't have a favorable favorable view of Herod, and obviously we see what what's, what Herod has done with John the Baptist, and we see his life that Jesus would would he would not be happy with Herod, and yet uh, we see in Luke chapter twenty three that that Jesus stands trial before Herod. Let's turn there, Luke chapter twenty three. Luke chapter twenty three. Luke 23, beginning in verse 6, it says, When Pilate heard of Galilee, he asked if the man were a Galilean. And, and as soon as he knew that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at the same time. Now when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceedingly glad, 
For he had desired for a long time to see him because he had heard many things about him and he hoped to see some miracle done by him. Then he questioned him with many words, but he answered him nothing. And the chief priests and scribes stood and vehemently accused him. Then Herod with his men of war treated him with contempt, mocked him, arrayed him in gorgeous robe, and sent him back to Pilate. That very day Pilate and Herod became friends with each other, for previously they had been in enmity with each other. Now, we see Jesus before Herod, and Herod wants to see him. Uh, we see in verse 5, he was exceedingly glad. He desired to see him, and he hoped to see some miracle done by him. He was hoping he was going to see a great sign through through him. So uh, we see that, and then we see uh, after Herod's questioning, Jesus doesn't answer him, and we see Herod's, it seems like his uh, view of Jesus changes. He is glad. He wants to see some sign. But when Jesus doesn't act the way he wants him to act, we see then that Herod, with his men of war, says he treated him with contempt and mocked him and arrayed him in the gorgeous robe and sent him back to Pilate. So we see uh, we see this. We kind of see a little bit of Herod's personality here uh, that uh, he can... Uh, if you don't, if he, if you don't do what he wants you to do, you can become an enemy pretty quick uh, with him. But we also see what's interesting is also in verse twelve that Pilate and Herod actually become friends uh, at this time. And uh, so he stands trial before him, and then of course this was before Christ's crucifixion. Now, an interesting point I want to make is. Towards the towards the end of of Herod's life, that uh, he is actually banished with Herodias. Uh, it says to lions in Gaul, and uh, maybe a little bit of justice on it, 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 maybe a little bit of, of justice and judgment towards them for what they have done. But uh, we see Emperor Gaius named Agrippa, king over portions of Herod the Great's former kingdom. Both Herodias and Antipas, Antipas, so Herod Antipas, was jealous of Agrippa's position. Herodias convinced Antipas to go to Rome and persuade the emperor to make him king. After Antipas had reluctantly set out for Rome, Agrippa informed the emperor of Antipas' standing army and military alliances. Antipas could not deny the claims, and Gaius interpreted them as an intention to revolt <coughs> Consequently, Antipas and Herodias were banished to lions in Gaul. Antipas's territory became part of Agrippa's kingdom. And we see that in uh, Josephus' books and, and other uh, literature as well. So they're banished. And we see now Agrippa is, uh, Agrippa is now ruler over Herod Antipas's territory. Now, going back to our family tree, you know, originally we saw Herod the Great. We see Philip, Herod Antipas, Archelaus, which we know was king over Judea after Herod the Great. We we talked about Aristobulus and how he had Herod Agrippa and also had Herodias as well uh, with Bernice. Now, this Agrippa that we're talking about after Herod Antipas is this Agrippa the first, and uh, he is actually the son of Aristobulus and Bernice. And, of course, going on, we're going to talk about Agrippa II as well, probably the most well-known uh, uh, Agrippa. 
and uh, and we we'll see. We also see Felix as well. We're not going to talk about Felix at this lesson, though. So, Agrippa is the Agrippa the first. Herod Agrippa, King Agrippa, is a grandson of Herod the Great. And uh, we see that he's the son of Aristobulus and Bernice. It says the Roman Emperor Caligula made him governor first of the territories of Philip, then of the Tetrarchy of Lysanias with the title of king, and finally of that of Antipas who was banished, and of Samaria and Judah. Thus he became ruler over the whole of Palestine. So now he's ruler over the whole of Palestine. Now, also, again, thinking about all these... uh, strange marriages and from what i understand this bernice who aristobulus married that bernice was actually the daughter of herod the great's sister so that i'm getting confused now i don't even know what that i think that's what uh uh, niece maybe i can't uh no that would have been that would have been his aunt so it was the daughter of herod the great's sister uh that he actually married and of course we see that they have Herodias, and again, we, we see that them having Agrippa as well. Now, going to Acts chapter 12, we see that this Agrippa is very, he, he, is, he, is, uh, he is an enemy of Christianity, seemingly, from what we see in Acts chapter 12. In Acts chapter 12, verse 1 through 5, Acts chapter 12, verses 1 through 5, it says, Now about that time Herod the king stretched out his hand to arrest some from the church. Then he killed James, the brother of John, with a sword, and because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also, now was during the days of unleavened bread. So when he had arrested him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him, over, bring him before the people after Passover. Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. If we keep reading, we'll see where the angel of God helps Peter escape uh, from that prison. And so we see him that he kills James, brother of John, and he's putting Peter in prison. So this was, he's, he's about, doing, about all he, doing what he can uh, to remove the influence of, of Christianity, that he is, that he is persecuting uh, the church and uh, the apostles during this time. Now, also in Acts chapter 12, uh, in verse 21, it says, So on a set day, Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, sat on his throne and gave an oration to them. And the people kept shouting, The voice of a God and not of a man. Then immediately an angel of the Lord struck him, because he did not give glory to God. And he was eaten by worms and died, but the word of God grew and multiplied. So we see the situation in which he gives a speech. And the people says that this is the voice of a God and not of a man. Now, in verse 23, we see why the Lord, the angel of the Lord strikes him because he did not give glory to God. Seemingly, when they said, when they said that he was the voice of a God and not a man, he probably, he was, he was liking it. He, uh, he wanted to be seen like that. He would not give glory to God. And because of this, it says that and he was eaten by worms and died. There was there's some literature that talks about all this that I, I didn't re- research in, but it's interesting when you see uh, some of the literature revolving around the story of him being eaten by worms, and um, so we see this happening. So he persecutes the apostles. We see his arrogance on display here, 
and then we see him end up actually being uh, killed, ultimately uh, by God. Now we see here the grip of the second come on the scene, and this is this is when when you think about the King Agrippa, this is the one uh, that uh, you're going to be most familiar with. He's also known as as King Agrippa. Uh, from what I understand, it seems like he had a very extravagant private life. He was very wasteful uh, individual. And in Acts chapter 26, we see where Paul delivered a speech uh, to him. We turn over to Acts chapter 26. And uh, we'll just start in verse 24. Acts chapter 26, verse 24. This is, again, Paul is recounting his conversion, the things that he has done after he uh, saw Jesus. And in verse 24, it says, Now as he thus made his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are beside yourself. Much learning is driving you mad. But he said, I am not mad, most noble Festus, but speak the words of truth and reason. For the king before whom I also speak freely knows these things. For I am convinced that none of these things escapes his attention since this thing was not done in a quarter. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do believe. Then Agrippa said to Paul, You almost persuade me to become a Christian. And Paul said, I would to God that not only you, but also all, all who hear me today might become both almost and altogether such as I am, except for these chains. When he said, when he said these things, the king stood up, as well as the governor and Bernice and those who sat with them. And when they had gone aside, they talked among themselves, saying, This man is doing nothing, deserving of death or chains. Then Agrippa said to Festus, This man might have, might have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. So Paul is giving this defense. And we see Paul saying that, uh, that you've, you know these things. None of these things escapes your, escapes your attention. You believe you believe the prophets. And we see in verse 28 that King Agrippa is actually almost persuaded to be a Christian. Which I find that to be particularly interesting given that Herod Agrippa I just seemed to be out out to get Christians. He's out to persecute Christians. And then we see Agrippa II actually almost being persuaded to be a Christian. He's more open-minded uh, than Agrippa I and, and, and understands that... Uh, Paul's done nothing, nothing wrong. In verse 31, it says, This man has done nothing deserving of death or chains. And, but we see where Paul had appealed to Caesar as well. And I believe, I don't know, I believe from what I read, this would have been, he would have been appealing to Nero, I believe. I'm not sure about that, though. So that's, you know, another, 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 another lesson. But we see these different heritage. We see all, they're all related. And I think it's useful for us to go through this because a lot of times in the scripture it'll say Herod. It won't, it won't specify which Herod. But going through these things, looking at them makes us kind of better understand the history, makes us better understand the family, uh, and see some of the, um, some of the absurdities of, of what's going on uh, in their lives and the, uh, the types of rulers that are ruling uh, this area. Uh, you see some of their immorality. At least me, I'm. You know, I think about well, how we see these people doing all these things. How do they even function properly as rulers? That's just always fascinating to me. Like I don't, I don't know how somebody that's of that mindset can be uh, a decent ruler. And it's like some of those seem to be, at least politically, seem to be very, very powerful. But anyways, I want us to point out a couple of things that we what we can learn uh, from these Herods.
And one of those is that Christianity began and it flourished in the midst of ungodly leaders. You don't have to you don't have to have a Christian king or a Christian president or even a, a Christian friendly uh, king or president in order for Christianity to, to flourish, for those to be converted uh, to Christianity. So we really don't have an excuse uh, that you know we can say, well, you know, I'm trying to keep my mouth shut because I don't want to raise I don't want to raise a ruckus. But we see here that uh, seemingly that, of course, they probably used their common common sense when in spreading the word, but it was still being spread even in the midst of these ungodly leaders and even amongst leaders uh, that were out to persecute uh, Christians. And especially even we would see with Jesus' time, the leaders uh, in that time and that uh, Jesus would seemingly uh, in some way stand up to them, and but uh, he, his mission was not effect, affected uh, by those that, are in, that, are, that were in charge. Now, we do not, and I'm talking about America, we do not live in a society yet. We might get to that point. We don't live in a society currently where rulers like those during the first century. We don't live in a society like, like rulers like uh, the Herods. Now, because you see, you saw what was going on. We see that we saw that you saw their marriages. You saw their immorality. Those things would not fly currently in America. Now, it might be several years down the road, it might be going on. But uh, we do see, and I want to make the point that uh, right now things aren't. We kind of getting and getting in our minds like, man, it's just everything's so bad. It's just getting worse and worse. Well, there was a time where it actually was worse than it is right now, and uh, we and I think we need to understand that and appreciate uh, those things and understand that uh, we're not. Sometimes we think that we're bad off, but we're not. We're in no way, uh, in, in in any way. Uh, even near in a position uh, like the Christians were in the first in the first century, at least at least Christians in this country. Uh, I want to point out Matthew chapter six and verse 30, uh, 33 That's seek ye first kingdom of God and His righteousness. This is what uh, Jesus was doing. This is what the apostles were doing. That's what the, the the Christians there in that time. That's what they were doing. They we 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 don't see them very involved in politics. Just we just don't. And they were, what they had on their mind was serving God and growing the kingdom of God. That's what was on their mind. They didn't worry. They weren't worried about um, who you voted for. They weren't worried about what your political persuasions are. They were focused on turning people to God. And and really, that's that's how you're going to see change by turning these people uh, to God and eventually, you know, turning the leaders uh, to God. That's how you see societies change. And I wanted to point out as well, I know during this, at least right now in our country, there's people fired up about everything. They're talking about rioting, revolting, civil wars, all this stuff. I want to remind everybody that if there was a group of, of Christians ever in history that had a right to revolt against any type of government, it would have been the Christians during the first century. There is just, you see, you see the nonsense going on there that, uh, and, we don't see them. We don't see them. We just don't see any type of really a political action, any type of armed revolution taking place. And so we have to remember that is regardless of what type of government there is, Christians can live. They can survive in that. And yet we see examples. We see scriptures 
uh, that indicate that it's just revolting against government is just not part of a Christian and, and who they and who they are. So um, that's a few things. I hope it's been useful for all of you. I know this has probably been more like a more like a class than an actual sermon, but I do think again. It's important for us to understand, have a better grasp of what was going on in first century politics in that area and help us to kind of, I think this is kind of, you know, when you read this, you kind of understand, well, things aren't that bad here, at least not yet. And so I think we should learn to appreciate that as well. And uh, so that's it. I hope you learned anything. Uh, If anyone here uh, is not a Christian, wants to become a Christian, you know, wants to become a, you know, part of a kingdom that's really is, there's, it's, it's, you know, you're looking for that heavenly home. You're not concerned, you know, we think about here at the great, we think about all those things and we just see their focus on power. I mean, that's all they have. They're solely focused on this power, focused on gaining more power. And if you lose it, there's nothing else to live for. For a Christian, it doesn't matter what's going on here because we always have that that hope, uh, that promise uh, that we can have regardless of who's in charge, who, regardless of who's running this country, and uh, regardless of any injustice that may be facing us. So uh, if you want to become a Christian, we'd certainly like to talk with you about those things. And even if you uh, are a Christian, need the prayers of the saints, need to confess anything, uh, we certainly offer this time of invitation now as we stand, as we sing, will you come?